So hey guys, we're back with another podcast from Cochise County Travels, and today we're going to be with Nick Cataldo. Uh, Nick has written uh, several books, but the one that fascinated me the most, uh, he wrote, is called The Earp Clan, The Southern California Years, and we're going to talk a lot about Southern California and the Earp family located there. Of course, we have some shout-outs to, uh, to do, and it's always a tombstone epitaph, Arizona's longest uh, running newspaper, and what I love about it is the price. One year is twenty-five bucks, two year is forty, or three years is sixty dollars. So if you do the three year, you actually save fifteen dollars overall, and it's a great savings. And the second thing I love, obviously, besides saving money, is the fact that it's a newspaper, and it's a true history newspaper. They got some of the best writers and researchers on there, and Nick is one of them that writes for them, and they've got articles, and Bob Bozbell has the center page, and there's just so much to see. And so if you love Western history, and you want to get a real newspaper, not a digital print, but a real newspaper delivered to your door that's all about Western history, I urge you to subscribe to the Tombstone Epitaph, and you can do so at tombstoneepitaph.com. Of course, we always give shout-outs to the folks over at the Wild West History Association. Uh, they are a, a, a group of people, including myself, um, an organization that is designed to help bring Western history right to you, but truly researched history, not you know stuff you find on Pinterest or photo sharing apps or whatever, but truly researched history. You, Nick, you're, you're a member, right, I think? Uh, yes, I am. Yep. Well, that, that was a good answer, because if you would have said no, the podcast would have been over. So, <laughs> But um, this is a great organization, and I belong to it. You can join and become a member at wildwesthistory.org. Um, memberships for an individual person are 75 a year, uh, two years for 125 or three years for 175 And some people will say, you know, Mike, that's kind of pricey. Well, really it's not because the journal that comes with it is over a quarter inch thick and it's just true research. There's no ads. There's no, you know, car ads or oil valet ads or home care ads or anything like that. It is just straight researched history by, by the best, not some of the best, by, but, the, but the best in Western history research. And uh, I urge you guys to check them out at wildwesthistory.org. So when I, I did a podcast a while back, and as, if you guys have been following along for a while, you know I love the Earps, and you know who doesn't? We love reading about them because it's always, it's all Wyatt Earp and Morgan and Virgil and the Earp family are showing up somewhere all the time in, on history pages. And someone said, you know, you should reach out to Nick because he wrote a book uh, about the herbs in Southern California. I think that the reference actually, or the recommendation came from Garner uh, Polinsky, who wrote a book about the herbs in San Diego County, and we're going to get him on the podcast too. Do you, do you know Garner? Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, yeah, I know him. We also uh, were speakers at a, a function at the William S. Hart uh, Museum uh, about six years ago, I guess. Awesome. So yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Between the two of them, they really covered the herbs in Southern California, and, and I'm super excited. So uh, again, if you want to get this book, it's called The Herb Clan, The Southern California Years, and uh, it's a fabulous book. We're going to be talking about the herbs in Southern California. We're going to be talking about Nick, and in the very back, not the very back of the book, but about the back half, 
which is actually my one of my favorite halves um, of any book. He breaks down where the the Ert family ended up and the, and their life story about what happened after you know certain people passed away and how they lived their lives. It's it's a fascinating story. So welcome, Nick. Hey, thank you very much, Mike. It's really a pleasure to be here. So you're or be on your show. I should oh, say. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Uh, and we're going to have him back. He's agreed for more already, and we're going to talk about the Cajon Pass, the history of the Cajon Pass, the history of San Bernardino County, the valley. There's so much to talk about, and Nick is at the at the front of it. And you you live in San Bernardino County, which and you also have a, a fan. You you've got a degree. You've gone to college, but none of it really prepared you. I think, and and I could be wrong. In you realizing your passion about San Bernardino County history, how did you get involved in it? Well, that's true. Um, you know, I always had it. I had an interest in history starting since I was a young kid. But when I was in high school, I uh, I, don't know, I, I was an average student, and uh, the idea of being a teacher was was far from my mind. And I was thinking, well, if I majored in history. Uh, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that degree other than teach, so I didn't do that. I majored in psychology, which I got a master's, I mean, a bachelor's degree in psychology that I went into special education, and that's, you know, where I did my, had my career, which I love very, very much. But, uh, interest in, um, in the Old West, I guess starts, you know, in the early 60s, when I was just a young boy, we were living in New Jersey at the time. I was 12 years old when we moved to, my family and I moved to San Bernardino, California. Uh, in New Jersey, we were watching Westerns with both of my grandfathers. Both of my grandfathers loved the, cow, they call them cowboy shows. We watched Wagon Train, Have Gumble Travel, Cheyenne, Bronco, you can go down the whole list. And, um, I, I was kind of intrigued with uh, the West, and you know, the, the furthest West I had been when I was a kid was Philadelphia. So I really, you know, had never been to the West or seen real cactus or uh, anything like that. But uh, I was in, in kind of enthralled with it. And, and one of the shows that I remember watching, <clears throat> which I'm sure everybody on this podcast has probably watched before, was The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp. I love the name Wyatt Earp, and the fact that it was based uh, loosely, at least loosely, on uh, real facts, uh, it was intriguing. And when my um, family and I moved out here in 1966, I was just under 12 years old, one of the first things I found out was, you know, certainly San Bernardino, California was part of the West, or was, or is, and talking about reading about wagon trains coming out west and one of the families that came out was the family of Wyatt Earp so that was really intriguing with me but you you started researching it as you became an adult because yes. your passion probably never went away and then obviously I've, I've talked to other podcasters where you know life gets in the way kids and family and stuff and your passions tend to take a back seat I would assume maybe yours did, but then I've seen photos of you and your son out exploring. So I don't, I don't really think it ever went away. How did you end up at some point saying, I'm going to write a book 
about the ERPs in Southern California? Well, you're right. My uh, my passion for the, the West, for for Southern California history, and for you know the, the Earp family, it never went away. I, I joined the uh, the San Bernardino Historical and Pioneer Society in 1980. I was 25 years old. <clears throat> I was probably like 15 years younger than the next youngest member. Uh, you know, historical societies generally attract older people. And um, whoa, I, whoa, I had, whoa, whoa, watch that. Oh, yeah. sorry about that. That's <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the young guys. <laughs> well, and I, I'll be 60 here in a couple of years, but I think okay. you're right because it ends up the older we get, then we get more time. I think we have more time in our life to explore our passions. I think so. But somehow I always worked out where I, I love exploring. I love hiking. I love walking the, the tracks, uh, you know, setting foot on places and, and areas where some of the pioneers traveled. And, you know, and I've also followed in, in, in Southern California or in San Bernardino County, I followed uh, the trail where the herbs came in. And so that really was very intriguing to me. And uh, I wasn't intending on writing a book. Uh, I initially, it was just, uh, I, I love researching. So I'm a researcher first. I love reading information, get, gathering more information. And um, in time, I started writing for our uh, historical society uh, uh, quarterly as a, as a kind of a secondary deal. And, and my wife uh, is a retired English teacher. So I'm going to say she taught me how to write, but, but she did. <laughs> she kind of taught me how to write with a voice. And uh, I kind of, you know, before that I was writing, you know, uh, like see Dick run, 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 you know, that, not quite that bad, but uh, not really terrific. And uh, so I started writing for our publication, uh, Odyssey it was called. And then um, I uh, started writing for the San Bernardino Sun newspaper, which is the local newspaper for San Bernardino County. Uh, in 1998, I was still teaching school. I taught special education for 36 years, and I was right in the middle of my career. But I was doing this uh, part-time, and... Um, I write about local history, so it's my, my really big super passion. But the Earps, because they were especially local, I wrote a lot about them. And then eventually I wrote a book. Uh, actually, it was uh, co-authored with, uh, with a man named Fred Holiday. No relation to Doc Holiday, but he was a member of our historical society. And he uh, had... Uh, had a strong interest in the Earp family. And uh, he had written some stuff on the Earps, and he kind of got me going. He kind of inspired me. And, and eventually I started researching more and more, and then next you know I decided, well, I'm going to write a book uh, on the, the Earps living in Southern California, which really nothing at the time. The only book I had seen uh, was a uh, but the herbs in San Diego, but it was before Garter Polinsky. I believe it was, uh, oh, I can't remember the name now. So yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty good book. It's a father-son team. They wrote a book on San Diego. And uh, I decided to uh, to do a book on Southern California, but with the main emphasis on San Bernardino County, which is where the herbs live most of their lives. Which... 
is fascinating on itself because we spoke in a pre-interview yesterday and yeah. you and I and and I'm fascinated with the fact that the Earps ended up in San Bernardino when they've been all over the country traveling right. back and forth going here going there and Nicholas the father I would bet was the the you know had the travel bug he was always wanting to go someplace different and see something new and go to the next opportunity and yet they ended up in San Bernardino how did they do that besides traveling like why San Bernardino of all places did they choose between San Bernardino and Colton to make that the Earp home yeah it was very interesting um Nicholas Earp uh, the father of the Earp family uh, heard about the gold rush in Northern California in the late 1840s. Uh, he, uh, his family at the time were living in, um, uh, they went from Missouri to uh, Illinois to Iowa. Uh, at the time, I believe they were still in Illinois. This was in 1851. He left uh, the family to go, you know, temporarily, you know, to go prospecting hopefully to strike it rich like everyone else that wanted to go to Northern California. So he went to the gold fields and he, uh, uh, say, uh, kind of settled or did his mining, I should say, in a, in a place they called Hangtown. Now it's called Placerville. Mm. And he lived there, did some prospecting and eventually he opened a mercantile store with a, another, another man. And that's where he made some money. And, and kind of a, a sad, ironic thing about a lot of the uh, the miners that went up to the gold fields of whether it be uh, you know the gold rush in Northern California or to any other gold mining town. Quite often, the people that had the mercantile stores or saloons are the ones that really made the money. Well, he made I don't know how much he made, but he it was I guess it was profitable for a little while, and then he decided to come back home, but he. Took us instead of going the way he, I'm not sure exactly what the route was, but he went took a southern route down towards Southern California, and uh, this is um, he mentioned this in 1888. So this is 37 years later when he was a founding member of the Pioneer Society, the San Bernardino Pioneer Society. He mentioned that he came down to Southern California and possibly he was looking for gold prospects down here. And uh, he mentioned about uh, going through the San Bernardino Valley, and he mentioned how how beautiful it was, and he loved the climate, and he loved to, just the, the scenery. And that's all I could think of. I guess probably more than the scenery. Maybe he looked at prospects for other other venues. But uh, when he went back home to his family, he vowed that someday he would come back out here again to to California, and specifically in Southern California, in San Bernardino. So this is 1852 is when he went back to uh, the Midwest to his family. 1864, 12 years later, uh, Nick Earp uh, became wagon master of four families that traveled out west. Uh, the other three families were the Curtis family, the Rousseau family, and the Hamilton families. And there were about 12 wagons altogether. They uh, at one point they were part of a larger uh, 
conglomerate of people, of, of wagons coming out west, but then eventually there were, basically there were 12 wagons. And uh, they left uh, May 12th, 1864 from Pella, Iowa, and their destination was San Bernardino. And it took them a little over seven months to wow. get here. They, uh, during the time when they were traveling, it got pretty darn cold, especially uh, when it got to early part of December and uh, late November, early December, and they were in Salt Lake City for about, I guess, a couple of weeks. But eventually they made it into San Bernardino, San Bernardino on December 17th. Uh, one of the members of the group, her name is uh, Sarah Jane Rousseau, wrote a wonderful diary, which I have a copy of the whole, the whole diary, about their travels from day one to when they arrived. Uh, I think uh, the Rousseau family arrived on December 17th. The Earps came, I believe it was two days later, and the Curtis family right after that. But they came to San Bernardino. Uh, the thing about the, the location of San Bernardino, it's, it, when you're traveling from the East Coast across the, the deserts, across the Mojave Desert, going into, you know, the, really the, the main way in from Southern California is through the Cajon Pass. The first place you come to is San Bernardino, which was settled as, as, a, uh, as a town uh, by Mormon colonists in 1851, and, uh, which is the year that the, the Earp uh, originally came out here the first time. So really, San Bernardino was the first place you come to. And, and just the, the location, it's San Bernardino, San Bernardino over the years, I've really become the, the gateway or gate city of Southern California, which is actually the name of uh, a book I just wrote recently, hmm. Creating the Gate City. And this is where uh, the herbs settled down. They uh, originally they uh, settled uh, next to a, a, a camp. Well, now it's a park in San Bernardino. The other families did likewise. And eventually, uh, after a few days, Nicholas Earp rented a farm just about 12 miles away, near uh, close to the Santa Ana River, and uh, a, a creek they called the Sanja, which is a Spanish word for ditch. And uh, that location is right at the north, which is now the north end of uh, Redlands. And they were there for about, uh, about a year and a half. They rented a farm from a man named Carpenter. And about a year later, uh, uh, Nicker bought some land, property, in what is now Loma Linda, a few miles, uh, I guess it would be further, uh, uh, further west, mm. between, between San Bernardino and, and Redlands. Mm -hmm. And they lived there for about two years. Hmm. Now, of course, and, uh, if you yeah. don't know, the, and, and I didn't mean to cut Nick off, I thought he was pausing for me to step in, but we are talking about the Earp Clan. It's a book. Uh, it's called the Herb Clan, the Southern California Years with Nicholas R. Cataldo. Uh, is uh, It's published by uh, Backroads Press Publication. You can get it at booksellers and go online. Where can they get the book? What's the best place? Well, you get it, um, yeah, I think Amazon is carrying it basically, um, uh, well, from me. I'm <laughs> from the author. That's the uh, I, I have copies. The San Bernardino Historical and Pioneer Society has copies. Okay. How the would San Bernardino County Museum. How would they contact you? Yeah. How would they contact you to get the book? Uh, best way would be like um, um, I give you my probably my email address. Probably the best way. What is that? 
and that's Yankee Nut fifteen, the number fifteen at gmail dot com. Yankee Nut fifteen at gmail dot com. Right. Yeah. In fact, the, the Yankee part that's uh, another part of my my passion for history is, is baseball. Gotcha. <laughs> Dear Yankees. So that's a whole other story. I can go hours and talk about that. <laughs> In this case, we're talking about the herbs. Excuse me. <clears throat> the herbs in Southern California. And so I'm going to concur with you about, I'm going to go back to the San, San Bernardino County. And for those of you who don't know, you can imagine either coming in from the low desert through the Phoenix, Yuma area, coming through the low desert, you you literally in about maybe five miles, maybe 10 miles, go from dry, desert, dirt, no growth, to Green Lush Valley. You do it in a very short amount of time. And the same with the Cajon Pass. So if you're coming in from the Mojave Desert and you're in a wagon train and you're coming down through Salt Lake City and then you pass through the villages of Asperia and Victorville, which probably weren't there at that time. But, right. you know, it's you're coming through the high desert and you come down this pass and the first thing you see is this huge green valley. It it probably was so welcoming that folks just said, oh, my God, I, I found heaven. I don't need to go any further. And the San Bruno Valley was lush and green because of the nearby mountains with, uh, uh, you know, where snow melt was coming down through the valleys and coming into the riverbeds. And, you know, it was feeding the area. So it was a lush green area. So if you've been to San Bernardino County or San Bernardino and you look at it now and you're like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? The herps lived here? You have to remember in the 1800s, it was green. There were farms. There was peach orchards, um, all sorts of fruit trees. It was it was gorgeous beyond belief. Yeah, absolutely. And you, know, you think about uh, when the herps are coming out by, by wagon or anybody else had a wagon train. The, the the average speed of a wagon is probably about three to four miles an hour, maybe three miles an hour, because there are times where people walked, you know, alongside the wagon. So they can only walk so fast. So uh, maybe let's make three miles an hour maybe a little on the fast side. So you're it's taking a long way to go across. You know, you think about the people that leave. It always amazes me when people leave their, their homes in the Midwest or the East Coast. They... They know what they have at the time, and they're looking for, for golden pastures or greener pastures. And they're, they're crossing without any maps. There's no Google. There's no, uh, uh, you know, and, and no way of finding out exactly what they're going through. They're going through vast wasteland, through the, you know, the Great Plains, going through the, the deserts, the Mojave Desert. I mean, it's hot, like you said, depending on the time of year. It could be hot or cold. And next you know, as they're coming down through the Cajon Pass, all of a sudden they say they see this green, lush area. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, when the herbs came out, uh, Mrs. Rousseau, in her diary, mentions in her last entry, they came through, they, they said they're coming down the Sierras, the Sierra Nevada, but it wasn't, there weren't the Sierras, it was the top of the Cajon Pass. They're coming through, and all of a sudden she mentioned about seeing Martin's Ranch. And Martin's Ranch was a uh, a family named Martin. They lived near what is a little town called Devore, which is right on the outskirts of San Bernardino. And she mentioned about being very green and lush. And it's like, like you're saying, Mike, that it's, this is paradise. After traveling for months 
you know, months. And all of a sudden seeing this, like, oh, this is it. And there's water. It's, you know, it's... Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it became paradise. Yeah. But the Earps didn't stay in San Bernardino. And there's mentions in your book that they went to other places like Temesco Canyon. Um, the Earps for a while were in Colton. You would think yeah. that as they're in San Bernardino that they would have stayed. What was their reasoning for moving? And for folks that don't know, Temesco Canyon is an area um, between the town of Corona, California and Temecula. Um, there are hot springs there. Uh, it was. It's a very lush and fertile area. Again, fruit trees, orchards, planting is fantastic. Why did the Why did the herb say, "I'm in the most beautiful place ever, and I'm going to move, and I'm going to go to Temescal"? Yeah. Well, when the herbs came out, you know, in 1864, they I mentioned they were in the what is now the uh, part of Redlands. At the time, the the only town. And that area was San Bernardino. There were no surrounding towns. There was a little uh, Mexican uh, village or town called Aguamansa, which is now part of Colton. But there were no other cities around. So San Bernardino was, you know, if you were just a few miles from the city limits, and basically the city limit was like one mile square, you're still San Bernardino. So that whole area was San Bernardino. Uh, they were there, you know, for four years, from 1864 to 1868 between what is now, you know, their first place, and then they rented, uh, or, or bought a, a uh, ranch uh, near what is now Loma Linda. Uh, it was decided they were going back to the, uh, back home. Nick Earp, now, it's depending on, I've heard a, a variety of stories. One is that the boys um, decided they were not uh, cut out for farming. They, that was not their, their thing. Uh, they developed this adventure bug from the father. So they're chips off the old block. So they were not there to do a lot of the ranching. <clears throat> also, probably more more important that Nick Earp had land in the Midwest that he needed to take care of. He was going to take care of some financial matters and uh, and then maybe you know sell off some of his land. But I believe his his intention all along was to stay. But in 1868, the family went back to the Midwest. They went back to uh, to Iowa, then they went to Missouri for a short time. And it wasn't until uh, nine years later, 1877, that the family came back again. This time, those that came back uh, were minus uh, Wyatt. Wyatt was 16 years old when he came out the first time. By then, he had already... Um, Became constable of Lamar, Missouri. Uh, he had developed that ad- adventure bug, and he started moving out towards uh, to Wichita, Kansas, and Dodge City, where he be- started developing more of a, you know, his namesake, you know, or, or say his right. reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that came out in 1877 was Nicholas Earp and his wife Virginia Ann, and the two youngest, uh, well, the youngest boy Warren, and also Adelia who uh, had just married a man named Bill Edwards, who was 16 years old. They came out. They followed the same trail, and uh, they uh, came out to uh, uh, to San Bernardino again. And I, what I've got is that he, Nicker, was looking for work. 
mm. in San Bernardino, and he was not successful. And I don't know how accurate that is. I heard that he was looking for a janitor shop, a janitor job. And uh, here, uh, Nick Herb had been a provost uh, marshal in, in Missouri early on. He had done some other work, but uh, the family left San Bernardino and they went to what you mentioned earlier, but Temescal Canyon, which is, uh, there's a resort there now called Glen Ivy Hot Springs, yep. which is a little more well-known. Uh, they lived in Temescal for about, I guess about two years. And then in the middle of it, in 1880, they came back towards to San Bernardino, and they settled in what by now was another little town on the outskirts of San Bernardino called Colton. There was no Colton the first time they came out. So they went to Colton, and Colton, Colton and San Bernardino is where the family lived most of their lives from, from then on. So we're not going to talk about the tombstone years because so much of the Earp family is defined upon what happened on Fremont Street, the gunfight on Fremont Street, and then eventually the vendetta ride, and then, you know, the Earps leaving Arizona. They didn't leave Arizona completely, but they left Arizona. And many of them went on their separate ways. I, I want to ask you about, and, it, and I, it's, if I catch you off guard, you know, let me know. When Morgan is shot and killed assassinated. Uh-huh. Right. They bring his body back to Colton. Uh-huh. Now there's a grave marker. Tell me if I'm wrong. There's a grave marker, a marker at Hermosa Gardens in Colton, but he was originally yeah. buried someplace else at a, at a mountain that they're actually tearing apart because it's rich in cement. You know, the things That's that right. make cement. Is that true? Like Talk about yeah, where yeah. Morgan, because a lot of people go to Hermosa Gardens and think that that's actually the cemetery where he was truly buried, and it's not. No. no you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, he was originally buried in Colton's original cemetery, and I, I, don't, I don't know if, if they had a name for the cemetery or not. It could have been just cemetery. And it was at the, uh, the foot of this, like you said, this mountain that they've been doing uh, mining uh, for cement, for all kinds of, uh, other minerals there for over the years. Uh, the, the name is called Slover Mountain. Slover Mountain. There you go. Yeah, there's, there's not much. There's not much of a there's mountain. There's not much now. left. But but his yeah he was buried at the foot of that. That's where the old the original cemetery for uh, for Colton and uh, actually Colton and just uh, that area outside of San Bernardino was. And uh, and then uh, during it was in 1882 when, when Morgan was was shot and killed, <clears throat> the body was taken back to the Southern Pacific Depot in, in Colton. He was buried there. <clears throat> and then uh, ten years later, 1892, uh, the city of Colton uh, uh, developed created a new cemetery called Hermosa, and uh, Southern Pacific Railroad, a railway that was. Uh, you know, that had come through, they made some changes to their right-of-way for the track uh, layout, and they bought the land from where the old cemetery was. So they moved, now they moved many of the graves. It's, it's hard to tell if they're going to move every grave there, you know, but they moved them from that old cemetery to uh, Hermosa. 
and Morgan's body was one of them that was was moved. Unfortunately, there was no real marker there. Uh, it was known for years, you know, the vicinity of where his his body was reinterred at uh, uh, at Hermosa in 1892, but there was no marker until I believe it was like 1990 or 1990 or just the early 90s. Um, a gravestone was was erected. In fact, they had um, oh, uh, a reenactor from uh, Tombstone came out. Uh, uh, Tombstone uh, historian uh, Ben Trawick was one of them, and they had a little ceremony. So they put a tombstone there for uh, for uh, for Morgan. <clears throat> and again, that's Tombstone's only from 1992, like a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you're right. So that was not his original. Burial, but that, that's his, his. You know, his body was reinterred somewhere. You know, somewhere in that area because that's the oldest part of the cemetery. Mm-hmm. But if it was exactly in that spot, uh, we don't know. Gotcha. And again, if you want more about what we're talking about, and you're like, oh my gosh, I I, I want to learn. You know, you think you know everything about the Earps, and then they pop up in Southern California. You want to grab. Uh, Nicholas' book, his book is called The Earp Clan, The Southern California Years. You can get a hold of Nick at yankeenut15 at gmail.com. That's right, yankeenut15. Yankeenut15 at gmail.com. And you can find it at Amazon and all all those good places. It's a beautiful cover. It's got the Earp family hand-drawn, some beautiful artwork on the front. Um, and you're going to want to add this to your collection. We're going to switch gears a little bit because one of the things about the book is Nick not only covered the history of the Earps, but then he did something that he probably didn't really at the time think about, but I made me love the book a hundred times more is Nick started putting in his travels at the end of the book. And he started talking about the places he went. And one of the spots that he went to involved somebody that we is a good friend of Cochise County Travels, and that's Bob Bozbell. And they and you can hear Bob Bozbell's podcast on the Cochise County Travel. Look it up. Uh, you can find it everywhere that I'm got my podcast. And we did a great interview with Bob. But you and Bob and a few others decided at some point, that we're going to find the place where Sadie and Wyatt would go and pitch their tent and do the mining at the Happy Days Mine. Happy Days, I think. Happy Days Mine. Yeah. And you guys, tell us about that, because that's a fascinating story of you guys driving all around the desert with black and white photos and comparing black and white photos to markers today. Tell us about that. Tell you, it, it was amazing to me. Um, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Russ McDonald. He uh, was one of the uh, founding members of our historical society, uh, the San Bernardino Historical Society. He <clears throat> mentioned that he had some work done on his car at uh, Crest Chevrolet in San Bernardino. And he talked to a man, uh, his name is Mike Stubbs. And he may be listening to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Mike, uh, he mentioned that Mike was interested in the herbs. <clears throat> and he meant, and then Russ mentioned about my interest in the herbs. So I called Mike up. And Mike had told me that just a few months earlier, 
This was 1995. He and his son were out exploring out in the Mojave Desert. They they had read about, you know, White Earp's Happy Day Mines. Basically, there were several mines, or like, actually there were a hundred claims out in this area. And it was in the southeast corner of the Mojave Desert, not far from Parker, Arizona. I mean, yeah, Parker, Arizona, but it's on the California side. And pretty close to a little, I can't even call it a town, but it's called Earp. There's a post office there, and mm-hmm. and uh, the last time I was there, it wasn't much else. I think nothing no. else. It's actually, and, uh, wasn't it called Drennan, though, originally, and then they renamed it Earp? Yeah, exactly. Right, it was called Drennan. And they, they named it Earp, renamed it right after Wyatt passed away in 1931. But uh, uh, Mike uh, said he and his son were out there, they were looked at <clears throat> maps that showed the Lucky Day Mine, which that's one of the mines out there. And they found the location, I believe they found the mine. But then they were looking at a photo that was uh, in um, Glenn Boyer's book and also Bob Bo's, I believe it's Bob Bo's Bell's book, showing um, White Earp's campsite. In fact, it actually was in Bell's book. Uh, it showed White Earp's campsite, probably one of it could be multiple campsites, but the main one, at least it was there for the most, you know, longest amount of time. And somehow they were able to, by looking at this old photo, black and white photo, and looking at the, there's a hill right behind where their tent cabin was. On that hill are two black, uh, two rocks, look like volcanic basalt rocks. And they were able to find the exact spot. How in the world they found it, I, I don't know. But anyway, Mike took me out there a few months later. I've been out there several times since. And uh, it's just really amazing, especially the first time we went out. <clears throat> he said he, um, when he went out there, he had not, I'm not sure if he had shown anybody that the exact spot showing up before and after showing, you know, showing up black and white and showing, uh, uh, you know, showing me. And uh, it, I think it looked very pristine. There were some old uh, tin cans, cans that look like they're, you know, they're soldered from the early 1900s. Uh, there was part of a, it looked like a tree house. There was a, an oil drum. Several stuff just around. And not much in the way of even tracks, you know, uh, people you know the, the the mine itself was a short distance away, but nobody really I don't think anybody really knew what they were looking at as far as the campsite. And a short time later, he um, uh, Mike uh, told uh, some other people uh, about the site, and you know, and, and other people have been there since. But uh, when Mike and I went out there, I think it was the first time, or maybe. We went in 1995. Then we went a year later, and that's when I met Bob Bozbell. He was he was there. In fact, he had talked to to uh, to Bob because again, the photo, the original black and white, was in his his uh, his book, and that's when I met him. So I really, I I, I, admit, I I have not had the opportunity to really to meet him since, and I'm not sure if he remembers me. But uh, we have our picture taken. In fact. His wife, I believe it was his wife, took a picture of my son, who uh, is now 31 years old. He was, Jay was, uh, I guess, five years old at the time, in front of the uh, uh, Earp post office. Well, and you can see but the But it was just amazing how they found that site. 
Well, and you can see the photos in the book because if you end up getting the book, the Herb Clan, the Southern California years, there's pictures inside the book where it shows Nick out doing things in the desert and he's got his son there and, and they're, they're great photos and, and it's just a fabulous story because I, I did the same thing but not as in detail. You know, I, I used, now I use Google Earth and I thought that I was in the right spot and I was not in the right spot at all. But I was able to go see their cottage um, in Vidal, and right. their cottage is still standing. and And I'm surprised because when I took some pictures of the of the of the cottage, uh, Terry Ike Clanton got a hold of me and said, "Listen, I own the cabin, I own the cottage." <laughs> and I thought, how ironic that a Clanton owns an Earp cabin. I know. Is this obvious? The, the, the very ironic. It's like uh, who who gets the last uh, uh, does the last hand. <laughs> well, then I <laughs> the herbs and the clans. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm. I, I, do you know Phil Gessert? Uh, I've heard the name, but I, I'm not familiar. So Phil is the owner of the Cochise Hotel in Cochise, oh, Arizona, okay. where Kate Big Nose Kate worked after Doc Holliday passed away, but. Okay. Phil got a hold of me and he says, well, if I'd have known you were looking for the mine, you should have told me because I owned the claim for a while. I bought the claim and had it in my possession for a while. So, you know, it's funny that you have a clan that owns the Earp Cottage and then a, a good friend down in Cochise says that owns a Cochise Hotel says, hey, listen, I own the claim. I had the, the mine. I can tell you exactly where it's at. So it's funny how the history people that are in the know or that you know that are involved in research and stuff it's a very tight family and everybody is linked together and they they know something and they like nobody says well i know it all and i'm not going to share it right and and that's that's the key when when people uh you know they they know something but they're willing to share because they're all you know people are really Enthusiastic and interested, they want to learn more and more. That's where you start getting this, just like a family. And and actually, it's you know, the, it's almost like the, uh, the the world gets smaller. People right. are more in in touch with each other, and that's that's really great. We got that's about we got about ten minutes left. We've already been talking for forty three minutes. In your book. There is a small chapter about Allie Earp. Correct me if I'm wrong. I hope you do. Um, Allie Earp. And when she died, the family had her ashes interned on top of Adelia's. That's correct. So tell that story. Because I find it fascinating that after Virgil Earp passes away in Goldfield, and I think in 1905, Right. The family come, he has a biological daughter he didn't know about, comes, right. takes the body to Portland, Oregon, where he's buried. Correct. Allie goes back through some travels and ends up back in San Bernardino County, San Bernardino, and becomes best friends to Adelia. And when yep. she dies, is that correct? When she dies, her ashes are placed on top of Adelia's... At at the Pioneer Hoss, uh, Pioneer Cemetery on Waterman. Yeah, actually, uh, well, it's Mountain View Cemetery. Mountain View. Uh, there, there, yeah, there are two. There is a Pioneer Cemetery in San Bernardino, but this one here is Mountain View Cemetery. Right. But that's correct. Yeah, uh, 
Let's see, Adelia died, uh, if I remember right, the, the year was, I think it was 40, 1941. Ooh, let's see, early 40s. I get the date down. I don't remember now. But when, uh, but she and, and um, Adelia, which is the only uh, Earp sister that lived to adulthood, and she you know, lived until her uh, early 80s, uh, she lived her, her whole life, really, I mean, in the San Bernardino area. She lived in uh, San Bernardino. She lived in Colton. She lived in Yucaipa, within Mentone. I mean, you know, she kept moving around, but she, you know, she was married with her husband, Bill Edwards, and then he passed away uh, some years earlier. And uh, and just Adelia and uh, just kind of took in Allie. Allie and Adelia became best friends. So when Adelia died, um, Allie, Allie lived till 1940, gosh, 1947. She was 99 years old. When wow. she when she died, her ashes were placed in the grave, same grave as uh, Adelia. That is crazy. And it wasn't until, uh, I don't remember the year now, I think it was around 2005, I believe, they had a, um, there was a, a reenactment of of Allie Earp's uh, burial. Yeah, and they had reenactors come into Mountain View Cemetery. And on the, uh, the, the gravestone, which was just a flat, a simple flat, uh, you know, level uh, stone, they etched her uh, name, Elvira, which is, was her real name. Because hmm. before, prior to that, uh, you wouldn't know that she was buried there because it was, her name was never etched in there. It was just, you just had to, just had to know where she yeah, was Yeah, it's weird, because I read about it through your book, and, uh-huh. and the hard part about reading books, and people are going to be like, oh, here it comes. The hard part about reading books is, when I travel, and I travel a lot, mm-hmm. I've been to the Pioneer Cemetery where Virginia Ann Cooksey is buried. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've been many times to the cemetery where Adelia and Allie are buried, and James is buried. James, I think. Mm-hmm. James right. Cooksey. Yes. And, and every time I read a different book, I'm like, oh, man, i got to go back to that cemetery again. Because I didn't know how many people from the West are buried in specific spots. Like, you know, I, the Hermosa cemeteries off the 10 freeway, off the interstate 10 freeway. When I lived in Ontario, California, I probably passed by that cemetery a thousand times before realizing and reading and going, Oh my God, it's, he's buried right there. Like right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Right. And so that's why I urge people, you know, go out and read, go out and read the books. And there's three books that I'm, I'm going to urge you to read uh, if you're listening and you really want to learn. One is the Earp Clan, the Southern California Years. Again, that's by Nicholas Cataldo. You can find him at Yankee fifteen YankeeNut15 at gmail.com. There is another book that uh, is fantastic, and it's by David D. D. Haas. And that is the Earps in Los Angeles. And it talks about Nicholas and the veterans home and prohibition crazy <laughs> it's crazy it's such a crazy book yeah. but it's not a crazy it's, yeah. it's it's a great book but it's crazy what the herps were into you know to make money and how far they would go and so to get that book it's uh, Dave by David D.D. Haas and it's the the herps in southern california and then Garner Polinsky's book which really in my eyes broke open the Earps in San Diego, because that book changed 
really everything about what people knew about the Earps in San Diego. And they were in and out of San Diego. They were on Coronado Island. They were speculating. They were buying land. They made money on land. I mean, crazy. The Earps, you know, they just followed every. And then they ended up back in Arizona for a short time, in Cibola and in Harkahala. Like, it's just, the Earps just were always on the go. If there was one thing to close it up, one thing about the Earps in San Bernardino, that people don't know or would find it hard to believe, is there anything like that you read and you went, oh my God, that nobody's going to believe it? Um, well, I think the, the fact that they lived most of their lives in San Bernardino, right. which uh, basically had a, you know, it, people knew about it in the old West, people didn't know about San Bernardino. But uh, this is where they spend most of their lives. You know, most people, again, you mentioned earlier, they, they think of the herbs uh, in Tombstone. That's the first time I heard of the herbs was Dodge City and Tombstone. But they only lived there about maybe two and a half years. And most of the time was out here. And also, what's interesting about San Bernardino, well, it's, it's not quite what you're asking, though, but there's a lot of a Tombstone-San Bernardino connection. A lot of people that were in Tombstone went up in San Bernardino, and they had uh, there's a there's almost like a I say a Twilight Zone connection, but they both there's like a magnet a magnetism between San Bernardino and, and Tombstone. Yeah, well, well, and it was a gateway, like you said, from the low desert and the high desert, everything gatewayed into San Bernardino. And then if you decided to go into Los Angeles, of course, Los Angeles was probably a two-plus day trip. And, sure. you know, and then you went through little towns like, you know, Cucamonga and Etiwanda and San Dimas. And, you know, you went through these towns that are, we see in Southern California now, but back in the day, they were, they were prominent business, but they were, you know, towns along the way. Exactly. I know that... Yeah. I know that Nick, you're going to come back, right? You'll you'll come back and oh, do another one. Oh, of absolutely! Oh, yeah. I I enjoyed it very much, Mike. And okay. I'd love to uh, talk to you again about because uh, I want to break or anything else. Well, I want to break down a little more about the herbs in Southern California because there is always a misconception that is it's actually truthful, and we'll save it for the next podcast as a teaser. Okay. And that is the herbs in the Cajon Pass. Because so many people like to talk about how the Earps had a ranch in Swarthout Canyon, but they didn't actually have a ranch. They had a cabin, and it was owned, and it was on the Clyde property. Correct? Uh, yes, they had a, actually. It, it really was not even the Earps cabin. Uh, the, the, a lot of the locals will call it the Earp, well, the cabin unfortunately burned, burned. in a fire in right. twenty sixteen. But they were calling it the Earp Cabin, but it was, uh, the cabin was built by a man named Alvin Clyde. And uh, the, the, the cabin itself, part of it was built by the Swartout family, and they just added on to the cabin. Uh, Virgil Earp was a very good friends with, with Mr. Clyde, Alvin Clyde. And uh, Virgil, and, and also to a point, uh, Wyatt, because Wyatt would come out and visit a lot. And in fact, when they visited, you know, they spent, he was spent a couple of weeks at a time. You know, travel was slow, obviously. And they would go out and visit the Clydes, and they would go deer hunting. So they would camp out 
on the ground. They probably, I'm sure they've gone inside the cabin and had, you know, and ate, and, and, and you know, they knew the family, especially, especially Virgil. And that's where, uh, you know, the, you know, a lot of locals will call it the Earp cabin because Earp spent a lot of time there. Well, there you go. We'll we'll probably break into it a little bit more. Again, this is uh, Nicholas Cataldo. Nicholas Cataldo, the Earp Clan, Southern California years. If you hear me, I'm I'm really pushing the book because honestly, I think it's one of those sleepy ones. It's out there, and then when you get it, you're like, God, why didn't I get it sooner? Or I didn't know it existed because everybody knows about Gary's book and Casey Chiefer Tiller's book and the, and you know the Wyatt Earp anthology with Roy and and John Bosnecker and all of them, they know about those books, but they don't know about this one. And that's why I'm doing this podcast with Nick, because it was so good. It, it opened my eyes to more about Earp history. And especially in an area that I'm, you know, I live born and raised in Orange County, California, but spent 35 years of my life living in San Bernardino County. And I just didn't know. And so I really want folks to know about this book. Of course, I want folks to know about the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running paper. I love the folks over at the Epitaph. Mark Boardman's a good friend, and I love him. And uh, and Eric Wright, he does some features, and as well as Nick. Nick's writing some features to be in upcoming episodes of the Epitaph, or uh, upcoming papers in the Epitaph. And so get a hold of uh, the folks over at tombstoneepitaph.com and become a subscriber today. And then again, the Wild West History Association. Again, an amazing group of people. And, I, and I'll say this, if you want to be able to reach out, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to reach out to a writer, historian, the best place to do it is becoming a WWHA member. Because all of the historians and writers and researchers and even a, a guy like me, if you wanted to contact us, you could do so through the WWHA and they'll connect you. And I have never been turned down. Even Bob Bozbell. Bob Bozbell, we contacted and he's like, yeah, I'd love to do the podcast. Like I, I never imagined Bob Bozbell or Marshall Trimble or John Bosnecker and people of those caliber, including Nick, would say yes. But it's all through the WWHA and you can find out more at the wildwesthistory.org. Uh, anything you're working on that's upcoming that you want to um, give a sneak peek or a sneak preview? Okay, well, I just finished Uh-oh. a book uh, two months ago. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's about San Bernardino. It's called Creating the Gate City. I mentioned how San Bernardino uh, has been a, a gate city, a gateway into Southern California. <clears throat> so I, this book uh, pertains to... Um, Individuals that helped create San Bernardino, uh, uh, build it up from, uh, well, I started out actually with uh, Native American days, and I lead up to early days of the city, and when it was really blossoming, and really over the last 30 years, uh, because of, uh, well, let's see, a combination of unfortunate circumstances, uh, closures of uh, some of the main businesses, and, 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 well, just a variety of circumstances. The city has has, kind of, has some bad times, hard times, but the city is on its way back up again. And and the history of San Bernardino in itself is really fascinating. So just really focuses on San Bernardino, 
there is some mention about the Earps. I mentioned about the San Bernardino Pioneer Society right. and Nicholas Earp and a couple of funny things about him, okay. uh, things that he was involved with, and uh, some of the other pioneers that came through. Um, so that's called the Creating the Gate City, San Bernardino, California. It's uh, on Amazon. It's uh, published through Backroads Press. So you get on Amazon or through me. And also, I'm working on uh, a book, another book about the Earps. I'm writing a book about about Nicholas Earp, the father, Nick Earp and Sons. I'm not sure exactly if that's the title I'm going to give it, but it might be. Um, no book that I know of has really focused, you know, as, you know a lot on on Nicholas Earp and uh, the patriarch of the Earp boys and the family. I mean, it's uh, there's a reason why Wyatt Earp was a venture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, all their uh, boys were into, you know, they're always traveling around, going, trying this and trying that, trying to make money, and they got a lot of from the old man. Awesome. So it should be really good. It's, uh, it's a work in progress. I'm hoping it'll be out in a year. Got it. But I'll focus on Nicholas Earp and his sons, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, with the chips, chips off the old block. That could be a name of it, too. Well, there you go. Listen, folks, we're going to wrap it up. Um, before I go, of course, um, reach out to Nick at yankeenut15 at gmail.com and uh, get the book. I, I can't urge you enough to get the book. The other thing, too, is you guys know, uh, find a food bank or a charity near you. There is so much hurt and pain and stuff, and folks needing a little help. Find a food bank. For me, my food bank is uh, St. Mary's Food Bank here in Phoenix. But find a food bank or a charity near you and just give a little 10 bucks, 5 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever it is, and help out these folks. Because there's so many folks that just could be a neighbor that just needs a little help, needs a little bit of love, and uh, just share that with them. And, and, uh, and oh my God, you'll feel fantastic because you helped out so many people. Uh, as always, happy travel, safe travels, and we'll see you next time on the Cochise County Travels Podcast.